Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Once Bitten podcast and something pretty special for you today. I have the mayor of the city of Jackson, Tennessee, joining me today. That is Mayor Scott Conger, who just last week put the laser eyes on his Twitter profile, signifying to the world he has a laser eye focus on Bitcoin. Then he started tweeting about Bitcoin and taking the city of Jackson onto a Bitcoin standard. Even dis uh, looking into and exploring the options of plugging in some miners into the state and using the revenue from mining Bitcoin. This is incredible news. We go into all of these details and more. I really hope you enjoy this episode with Scott. If you are tuning in from the US, I think you're going to be very interested in what he has to say. In fact, from around the world, because this is game theory now really kicking in. So before we get into this episode with Scott, I want to give a shill to coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten bitcoin only exchange over there in the uk you can start stacking your sats set up auto buy if you're across europe use relay r-e-l-a-i dot ch forward slash bitten download the app low kyc start dcaing get out of euro and swiss and into sats if you're in the u.s thank you so much for listening you're gonna love this episode swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten They've got you covered every single state. They are also going around the globe now. So make sure you check out, go to their website and check it, swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. And then you know what to do. Take control of those coins, get them on a hardware wallet, bitbox02 by shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. And we should be recording. Yes, we are. Okay, Maya Conga, nice to meet you. Yeah, great to meet you. It's uh, it's so great for you to do this. Uh, it was very tongue in cheek when, when I saw you put that tweet out. Uh, that I I did a little reply underneath that I was not expecting any kind of response from you, but uh, yeah, you picked straight up on it. That was brilliant. Well, you know, you caught my attention with the sarcasm. I, I love it, and uh, it's it's kind of it's my area of expertise as well. So uh, yeah, I, I picked up on it and appreciate that. Well, it's got to be. I mean, the first thing that's got to be said is. You're a pretty young guy to be as uh, as high up in in your career as as you are at the moment as mayor. What um, how old are you? Thirty seven. Well, so I got elected when I was thirty five, and uh, yeah, I, yeah, second youngest mayor in in our city's history. Um, I did get elected to the city council when I was twenty seven. I actually the youngest council member elected and, and served a couple of terms there before I ran for mayor. Well, congratulations, man. That's amazing. It's been a, it's been an interesting journey thus far, uh, taking office in July of 2019. And then here we go with the pandemic, uh, you know, seven months later. Yeah. A baptism of fire, huh? Yeah, so absolutely. can I, can I ask you then, 
Was this something you were always kind of destined for when, when you were growing up? Did you always feel as though you would end up in some kind of uh, position such as this? Well, it's a unique answer for me. So I'm the third member of my family to hold this office. Um, going back to great, great, great grandfather in, in 1860s held it. And then my grandfather was, was mayor here for 21 years. Uh, from 1967 to, to 1989, 21 and a half. But um, I graduated undergrad with a history degree and was, was planning on teaching high school history, coaching you know American football, um, and went on two interviews. And that was my, my endorsement was history. And so you can only teach history. And uh, they had two teachers that were going to retire. And I'm, I'm thankful every day that those two teachers did not retire because I probably wouldn't have lasted as a, as a teacher. Uh, just not a good teacher. And, uh, you know, you can do only so many things with a history degree. You can you can work in higher education, uh, you can teach, you can go to graduate school, or you can really rattle a can on the street corner. It's pretty much about it. And so uh, <laughs> worked in higher education uh, for a few years, went to graduate school, uh, got my master's in business administration, and then uh, you know, transitioned there, served on the city council for, for like I said, a couple of terms. And, um, my, my previous job was uh, United Way of West Tennessee, uh, President and CEO. And so uh, made the transition uh, two years ago to, to to this role. So yeah, y yes and no, I guess. Uh, you, know, you always try to kind of create your own path. And, and the more I, I got interested in local politics and, and opportunities and, and seeing the opportunities that we have here in our city, um, I felt that it was, it was my job to to live, help us capitalize and maximize those opportunities. We didn't even shill your city. I'm sorry. You should tell everybody exactly where you are and uh, you know what you're representing. Yeah, uh, Jackson, Tennessee. So we are in uh, West Tennessee. Uh, so we are in uh, you know Midwest, mid southern southeastern region. Um, we're about 80 miles um, east of Memphis and about 200 miles west of Nashville on the interstate. And so a population for us about 68,000. Um, so not, not a large city, but I think uh, for us, we are, we have the amenities, you know, some of a large city, but have that small town feel. So it makes us unique. Uh, our location makes us very unique on that music highway. And, um, you know, we're the home of, of Carl Perkins. You know, without Carl Perkins, there is no Beatles. So uh, it's kind of, you know, one of the things that, that we're proud of here as well. And what about your sports teams? You, you, you've got a Sheila sports team in there, I'm sure. Uh, you know, we, we have some sports teams here. We, we have uh, we went through some you know, issues of minor league baseball and, and trying to figure that out. And we have a stadium here. Uh, you know, we right up the road from uh, uh, we have some, some soccer teams, American football in, in Nashville. And uh, uh, closest, I think, professional baseball is about four hours away from us. So got a lot of college sports around. So we're, we're you know, Southeast is a big, uh, big college sports and college football uh, culture here. And, you know, the Britcoiners would, uh, they would string me up if I didn't ask, you know, what's the local beer there, Scott? Let me, I, my, my sound is down. Ask that question one more time. Yeah, absolutely. What's your local beer there? All the Britcoiners over here, that's that's what they'd want to know first thing. Uh, yeah, our, our domestic beer, we have a Budweiser uh, distribution center here. Um, so... You know, we have uh, Yingling is a domestic Budweiser and, and all of that, all the domestics that we have here. And we, we appreciate, uh, like we have a, a local brewery that just started a couple of years ago. And so that's kind of our, our first 
local brewery in a while. And so they, they have some great local beer as well. Cool. Well, where, where does the, where does the name come from? Conga? You, you were talking about your father and your grandfather there and you know, you'd be in third generation in that, um, in that role. Uh, where did um, the family originally come from when, when moving across to, to the U S and to make a new life? Yeah. Uh, England, uh, bell conger was the, the origin of the name. And, um, we, uh, so my, my family settled, actually settled in Jackson in 1832. And so, uh, started in, and came across North Carolina and then, uh, settled here in 1832. And so, uh, most of my family's been here since then. That's wild, man. So when you're growing up and you're watching like, uh, well, first of all, your grandfather and then your father in, in this role, do you remember, I mean, how, how did that make you feel? That that must have been like uh, an immense kind of, I don't know. What, yeah, I don't yeah. think anyone could ever understand what it's like to grow up as the, the kid so, of the mayor of the mayor. <laughs> so, yeah, my, my, my father did not go into politics. He just, politics wasn't his thing. Uh, but my, my grandfather left office when I was six. And so most of my life was former mayor conger uh but but people still you know called him mayor and um it's one of those things that people never let you forget when, when you're mayor they still call you that but I, I remember you know being the office i'm in now is is not physically the office he was in we, we, they built a new city hall about 20 years ago uh, i do have i sit at his desk actually though that was in his office uh in, no way. in the 60s 70s and 80s um but uh, you know, crawling around the floor. I mean, he was granddad. You know, I, it's just what he did. And I, I go back and look at you know old videos of, of press conferences and, and his announcements and being there. And you know, I think I was I was really young during his last campaign. And so I mean, there's pictures of me you know unrolling uh, campaign stickers and things like that. But it's just you know he he was always granddad first, and um, that's kind of you know, what he instilled in me is, you know, family comes first. And that was part of, you know, when, when I, as I campaigned, I have a now soon to be five and three-year-old. And I told folks during the campaign, if, if you're expecting me to be the mayor that goes to every social function every night on the weekends at night, then you're, you're voting for the wrong guy. I got, I have two small kids, I have a family. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going to be dad and husband first. And, um, then you know, I, I can do the, the rest after that. What do you think, maybe, maybe you've had this discussion already, or maybe it's uh, something you've not thought about, but what, what was kind of like the, one of the biggest decisions of his time? Because right now you're in this transition period and we're going to get onto that conversation. That's the whole reason we're here today. Right. But I, you know, I love looking back and what do you think was going on back then? Or do you know, like what was, what was a face, what, what challenges was he facing and big decisions he making for, for the town? You know, the, the, the strange thing is, and uh, uh, my, my grandfather's assistant, of course, you know, print media was, that was it back then. Um, and so she kept every article that, that was, that mentioned his name that he was in uh, throughout his, his tenure, that was 21 and a half years. And you go back and read those and they're in scrapbooks now and not, you know, it's, it's a different time, but the issues are still the same. We're still talking about public schools. We're still talking about economic development. We're still talking about better paying jobs. We're still talking about what we can do. Um, I think that for him though, when he was elected in 1967, um, Jackson was much smaller. It was um, it was not an industrial city. 
it was kind of a, a farm area and the mayor was looked at as really a, a part-time position so the mayor before him also had a funeral home business so it was kind of he did both and my grandfather owned a, um, a concrete and lumber company and part of his campaign was i'm elected those companies are sold i'm going to be your mayor full-time and so he transitioned that position to a full-time mayor to lead the city uh, brought in some of the largest manufacturing facilities that we still have today uh, and, and really saw it as an opportunity to to change the landscape of the city and really you know create that the new industry of manufacturing because manufacturing was exploding at that point and he saw jackson as the opportunity to bring a manufacturing hub because while our, our city is 67 68,000, we serve we're, we're surrounded by rural west tennessee so the you know, 15 counties around us are mainly rural, and so we are the hub for healthcare. We're the hub for entertainment, for business, uh, for employment. Uh, our population doubles to about 120,000 every day, just from people coming in to go to work, to do their shopping, uh, to go to the doctor to get their healthcare. And so, you know, I, I really, I may be a little biased, but I attribute that to to his vision of of what Jackson could be as the hub, because started out as a rail hub back in the early 1900s, late 1800s. And so we've, we've really just, we have to capture that of, of who we are and our, our identity of being the hub city and and evolve as the um, as industry and as the environment and the economy evolves. Did you say he started office in 1967? Was it? Yeah, he took office in 67 and, and uh, was in office until 89, yeah. Man, so he saw house come off the gold standard right in 71 have have you ever looked have you ever seen that the, the website wtf happened in 1971.com I, I need to look at that oh man you're gonna love that when uh when you sit down and you this is one of like the significant websites of of bitcoiners and and this this space it unlocks people like instantly because it's so visual and all of the data that they've got i don't know they're adding to it all the time. Maybe there's 20, 30 graphs and it shows you what has happened to uh, like uh, our economy globally um, since coming off the gold standard in 1971. And it would just be interesting to, to speak to people who were in that position when, yeah. when that was going on and, you know, what their thinking was and, uh, and, and how they would um, think about it now and, you know, here we are, we're facing down a, a, a new transition to a, a new financial system. It's, uh, it's truly fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, you know, my, my grandmother is still alive. She'll be, she, she'll probably kill me for saying that. I, I tell her age all the time. So she'll be 91 in, in July. And so uh, she has a wealth of knowledge and we was there through all of it with him. So uh, and she has firsthand experience of, of everything that happened. So did you say your dad dodged politics or he, he was yeah. the next mayor? No, he, he dodged politics. So yeah, my, my great, great, great grandfather back in the 1800s was mayor than my grandfather was. And so uh, he, uh, yeah, he probably smarter than all of us in dodge politics, I guess. <laughs> so what did he end up doing? Uh, he worked in one of the manufacturing plants. Um, and so he's a, a tile manufacturing company, he worked there until, and then he's, uh, he's retired now. So, Tell everybody what is it like to to campaign because that looks like an absolute oh man it looks exhausting. So when when you decided to run, did you have any idea what you were actually getting yourself into? 
I, I did. I, I'd helped out with campaigns. I'd helped manage the previous mayor's last campaign. Um, but I think for for us and and you know our gener and generationally campaigning is changing. Um, it used to be, and you know, I, one of my opponents. There was five of us in the race. One of my opponents was still modeling that older campaign model of let's do direct mail, let's write cards, and um, let's go to events. Well, you don't have to do all that today. I mean, you look at what, a, and let's do television, radio. Well, I mean, who's watching television and radio, right? I mean, we, I don't know the last time I had cable. Uh, and so what we did is utilize, we didn't have the money. Uh, one of my, my main opponent raised five times what I raised. So we had to look at how do we, how do we maximize what we have and, and create the biggest impact. So ours was social media. And so everything we did, mine was, you know, either daily videos, lives, um, you know, utilizing the creating audiences in our social media content and pushing it out. So a CPM for a social media ad in 2019 was eight cents. And so you're getting an impression for eight cents and we're getting to hit that and we're creating it and we're actually targeting the people that we want to target. And so you're not doing the shotgun approach. We're taking a sniper rifle and we're just, we're going to hit who we want to hit with whatever message we want to hit. And then, um, again, like I said, I don't, I don't have the brain capacity to, to not be who I am. Um, and, and just having those conversations with people and being authentic about what I saw for Jackson, what I wanted to happen, uh, why I was doing it. And, um, it, it really helped us. There's a lot of door knocking. There's a lot of events. You had to go do the, the forums and the debates, of course. Um, but, but for us, it was really strategic in how we spend a, a much smaller amount of money and have a, a bigger impact in how we reach people. At some point, you were obviously leading up to this decision, discussing this with your wife, and uh, obviously that it takes the pair of you to to you know make that decision. And you got a young family, so what was the why? What's the what's the big why? And the why is is what we discussed. And uh, of course, when when my wife and I met, I was in the middle of campaigning for city council, so she got the trial by fire of, and it's it's a much smaller race, but uh, she's she's been around. Um, through the, the public life. And so you know, we had a discussion of what do we want? What do we want for, for where we live? What do we want for, for our city? And, you know, you look at smaller towns of our size, you see a, a brain drain in some sense. Some people go to college, they go to bigger markets where the jobs that they want are in, you know, the newer jobs, not manufacturing jobs. And so, you know, Part of it was was very selfish for us of we can we can sit back and we can hope that that our children uh, go to college and come back and um, find a career here or uh, we can start create, creating the future that they want to come back that we want to have them here and uh, like i told people quite frankly i don't want to have to drive two four hours to go on a plane to go see my kids i want them down the street i want them to come back to jackson um, when they when they graduate college or choose a college in the area whatever they want, but not because they feel pressured to come back by, by mom and dad, but because there's opportunities for them. And we have to start creating those opportunities and building that foundation uh, to create that economy and that market and that 21st century push to be able to, to attract those young people back. So had Bitcoin already kind of come across your mindset at that point, or was this a little bit um, later? Oh, it was later. Yeah, I, I would say in the last probably six, eight months, 
Okay. <laughs> so when, when you were when you were going through that thought process, what was the kind of things that you were hoping to have, you know, to, to campaign to put in place and to to you know have started building to attract uh, you know businesses and, and brain power? So our you know, the three main tenets of the campaign are, are tra we're transparency, efficiency, inclusivity. How do we bring people to the table? How do we operate in an efficient manner? Uh, and everything we do has to be transparent and uh, carry those into how we operate government now. And then our three focuses, priorities are infrastructure, public safety, and quality of life. And so those are the three things that we want to ensure. So it's walkability, uh, access to green spaces, parks, uh, entertainment opportunities, uh, expanding on the arts. Uh, you know, in, we look at, uh, we're kind of in a, a, a budget issue now with our finances. We have some debt service structure that's not ideal. Um, we have a couple more years of that debt structure service, that debt service structure, and then it opens up a lot better for us. But so we can't wait on that. We have to look at how we can, how we can be more efficient, drive our revenue, reduce our expenses. And um, we have to create those opportunities now uh, and show that we're forward thinking and that we're not, uh, we're not just going to wait on the world to pass us by. Did you say transparency, efficiency, and inclusivity? Was that right. the three? Yep. That's like Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Yeah, all, 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 yeah. all particular boxes. I started reading and talking to people about, I was like, this is, I, I guess I'm the one that got passed by. I should have been talking about this five years ago, but uh, it, uh, yeah, it, it all fits right in on, on how we can do it and how we can be transparent and, and financially empowering people, right? Because, I mean, I think everyone has that, that ecosystem and that economy where you, you have two separate economies. You have the haves and the haves nots. And, and how do we empower people to increase their buying power, to in, increase their create wealth, um, give them opportunities to get out of rental homes, own homes, get their, their equity built, um, you know, from whatever amount they get paid, how can they start building wealth? How can they be financially empowered? And that's just, we started that with an anti-poverty task force, looking at financial empowerment. We got some grants from Bloomberg Foundation uh, to start this process. And that's, that's really where we started looking at, we can't do it the way we've always done it. We can't just go and talk about banks and get banked and open a checking account and put money in a savings account. That's, that's not how it works. You're not gonna get 0.01% interest on a savings account and build wealth. Um, and the barrier to entry for stock market to have a financial advisor there's a huge barrier there and so how do we reduce that barrier to entry for asset accumulation and wealth building and that's it i mean it's that's how you, bitcoin is is where it goes i mean 86 percent of americans have access to a smartphone or they have a smartphone and so that, that's all you need and, and you can start accumulating wealth and you have an asset appreciation you utilize uh averaging dollar cost averaging and there you go. How did you fall down the rabbit hole, man? Like this, yeah, I got a great big smile on my face. I'm sure the listeners are have too. What's um, what what made you peek down that rabbit hole? Was was there any books? Anybody call you up and say, "Hey, you got to look at this thing"? Who do you attribute it to? Gosh, um, I, it's constantly trying to consume as much as I can in in, in spare time, and uh, started the, the conversation around cryptocurrency and, and Bitcoin and. You know, I'd probably say a few months ago, really pushed me all the way in the rabbit hole um, was uh, 
local guy, Aaron Ingalls is his name. Um, Mayor Francis Suarez in, in Miami was making the big Bitcoin push and I'm watching it and I'm, I'm following him. I'm thinking, you know, man, that's, that's Miami. I mean, that's, it's a huge city. They have the opportunity. They can do that, right? They're, they're in the tech world already. We're, we're a, a Southern Western Tennessee city. I don't know if that works for us. And then, um, and Aaron tweeted at me under one of Mayor Suarez's tweets and say, what about Bitcoin in Jackson? And I, I kind of sent a jokingly tweet back, I think about some Dogecoin and, um, it just started the, you know, the people just piling on me. I thought, well, it's, you know, they don't understand sarcasm either. Uh, <laughs> and so that opened up a, a conversation with Mayor Suarez and me. So we started sending some messages back and forth. And uh, th then I just started reading, consuming, studying. I thought, you know, it doesn't have to be just big cities. It, it, we, you know, smaller cities can lead the way. I think mass adoption and is going to have to be from ground up you know we're not going to see it at a federal level down we're going to see it from the ground up of adoption and then moving up to to that to that mass adoption you're so right man it doesn't have to be big cities it does have to be smaller uh, communities of towns um because uh, as you touched on earlier you you know the, the way for people it's so empowering for people i've interviewed so many people on this different pod on this podcast from you know, different walks of life all over the world, whether it's uh, the mayor of a, of a city or a CEO like Michael Saylor, or all the way down to just a random anonymous Bitcoin pleb on Twitter who's sharing their story of how this has completely changed in some, some way, in many ways, saved their lives and um, their families' lives because now they have, they have this appreciating asset and, you know, again, it's all inclusive, right? As you said, inclusivity, all you need is that smartphone and you can opt in and dollar cost average, start educating yourself. And I can't even begin to imagine what a society would look like if, if it had the right messaging from people like yourself, like within your community to go out there and make a big push on this and, and help people understand it and help people start saving into it a year or two down the line. The, 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 John Vallis does a great job of this, like uh, discovering the like fundamental changes it has in people's uh, philosophies and uh, their, their mental mindset and their psychology. It's truly amazing, mate. It really is. The mindset shift. Hey, Lauren just walked in. Lauren just walked in. Hang on. Hang on. Don't ask your question just yet, because Scott was just going to talk about the mindset shift. Yeah, the mindset shift was amazing. So like I mentioned uh, Aaron and we had a lunch a few week or two ago and he was talking about his mindset shift so he's in the fence building industry and so uh, you know 200 percent increase in lumber costs over the last year since the pandemic started and but he's he's been in bitcoin since it was you know three four hundred dollars a coin and so he's you know when i when i look at it in dollars in us dollars yes lumber is way more expensive but if i look at lumber in sats it's actually cheaper for me now than it was a year ago. And, and so it's just that mindset shift of, of how things have have changed and actually if you how you look at it, what the actual price of, of goods and services are when they reduce because the appreciating asset that you hold. Everything, every everything priced in Bitcoin trends to zero. It's incredible. It's unbelievable. 
And people have put their, I've had um, doctors on here, dentists on here, uh, restaurant artists. owners, artists. And uh, yeah, it's, um, it's truly amazing how they can then just put all their energy back into their business, you know, back into their craft, because the, the worry of the, you know, financing or servicing the debt, all of that starts going away over time. And what do you end up with? A much better quality product, a much better quality service, because that person can really reconnect with exactly what they're trying to achieve, uh, rather than on this hamster wheel of just trying to pay off uh, the next debt or like the supply chain is just getting more and more, you know, inflated away from you. So your product goes down and your service goes down. But anyway, I'm bleating. Lauren's here. She has a question. Um, I got two actually. Go for it. Um, okay. So why did you decide to become a president? Is it right? <laughs> yeah. no. It's President Conga. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, you know, based on the last 10 minutes discussion, uh, I think we're getting a lot of votes. <laughs> A mayor. He's a mayor. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> I, I forgot. Like, I, I get mixed up with that. Well, perhaps Scott can tell us what's the difference between a mayor and a president. That might be quite interesting because we don't know as uh, non-US citizens. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we can, we can start there. Uh, so, you know, our, our governmental structure is US government and we have state governments and then we have local governments. And so um, I am the, the mayor, which is akin to a CEO of a city. And so if you look at a city as a, a business, then I'm the CEO of the city. Um, and so then you have, you know, governor, president. So president's way far away, uh, not even on my radar uh, whatsoever. But uh, yeah, why did I become a mayor? I have kids. I have, um, I have a soon to be five and a three-year-old. And so I wanted to, to be a part of making our city something that would attract them back when they went to college and when they graduated uh, to start their family, partly selfishly, because if I have grandkids someday, I don't have to travel four or five hours to go visit them. I want them to just be down the street. And so um, that's one of the reasons that, that I decided to do this, to be a part of making that transition to making Jackson a place that they want to live and they want to raise their family in, you know, long time from now, because they're, they're three and five. So get married, you know, 30 years from now. <laughs> It's a low time preference mm. right there. What was your other question? I had it in my brain like two seconds ago and I'm just like, oh, man. what is it? Uh, <laughs> hold on, hold on. Well, I, got, I got a question for you, Lauren. Okay. If you were mayor, yeah. what, what would be the first uh, kind of rule you would want to put in? What would you, what would you hope to, to put in place? Oh... Uh... What do you think? Oh, wow. Um, the paradox of choice. <laughs> oh, my God. Which one? There's so many I want to do. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Scott was campaigning to, like, you know, cut the price of ice cream in half. Does that sound like something that might be interesting? Would that be a good rule? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. You don't know what you do? Um, well, I might have like, I might stop some factories who do coal, like because um, of climate change. Okay. 
So you'd want um, kind of less pollution in the um, in the city and, and cleaner air for people to breathe, mm -hmm. safer environment. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, Very why good. why don't you ask Scott what he's doing? Well, let's 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 find out. What's... Well, you cut me off my way on my third question, Daddy. So I was trying to help because you said you'd forgotten it. Are you back? Have you remembered? Uh, hold on, hold on. Oh yeah, and um, is it hard to run? The the city is yeah. it hard to be a man? Is yeah. it hard to do Scott's job? Yeah. yeah. You know, I think it there, there's definitely difficult choices, uh, especially over the last year in a pandemic. Um, there are things that I have I've done that I thought that I would never do. Uh, you know, when, especially in the first seven months of office creating ex executive order to tell businesses they can't operate. Um, and so that just flies in the face of everything that I thought I would do. Um, but it's probably it's the best job ever that I've ever had in all honesty, because you can have an idea and it's all about how many, the people you have working with you, if you have great people, then it, it makes any job fun and easy. Uh, not that it's easy, but it makes it, makes it more fulfilling and fun. So, uh, but the, the best thing I think about my job is we can have an idea you can actually see it come to fruition a lot quicker than if you get at a larger level of government. So, you know, you, you get into a state government, which is in over an entire state or a federal government, you know, an idea from conception to fruition takes a whole lot longer and it's a much more in my opinion frustrating process uh, i only have to get five people to agree with me uh, we have nine council members have to have a majority and so i don't have to have you know 200 or you know, i just gotta get five and so um, it makes it a lot easier to, to get things done that was a good question great question are you done uh yeah Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Well, say thanks to Scott and uh, okay. thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, mate. Um, yeah. So what were we talking about? Uh, yeah. The mindset shift. Um, have you felt that yet? Personally? Have you, have you, um, I, you said something like six to eight months you've been looking yeah. at it, um, interacting with, um, right. Well, the yeah. laser eyes are on. So, you know, that's my, my, my focus every day is, is looking at, you know, I'm, I'm personally looking at what it's what it's what Bitcoin is doing. Um, and then we're as we get people together, creating a blockchain task force to look at how we can operate that uh, at a municipal level. Um, you know, we have for, for our state government, we have a, a comptroller, which is uh, like the financial chair of the state tells local governments, you know, finances, what they can do, they, they help us, they do audits if we have issues. And, um, and so I've, I've reached out to the comptroller's office kind of about, about Bitcoin and how we can do that. And if it is a possibility with our, the way our state legislation is now, if we could, you know, we're looking to have some space in city hall here of, of getting some mining and, and mining Bitcoin to put on our, our balance sheet. But if that's a possibility, and if not, what can we do to make it a possibility? Uh, and so that's um, having those conversations and getting that committee together to see, you know, not just at a personal mind shift, but how we can start creating that mind shift uh, at the local level here and, and, and financially empowering people. And, and we're working with, with several organizations on, on how to do that uh, as well. 
did they think you were crazy when you put that first call in? Were they like, what on earth are you talking about? Or had they heard of it? You know, usually they, they send an email back and you send an email, but uh, I just saw an email pop up my screen that they called my office. So I guess like this, he may have, he may, his email may have been hacked. Let me call and see if he's actually uh, <laughs> asking these questions. <laughs> I wonder how many other people across the States are having this kind of, conversation in your seat you know the, the other mayors this is something we talk about uh, has been talked about in the in the space quite a bit like the game theory of um moving state budgets onto uh, a bitcoin standard so obviously first mover you have wyoming you've got texas close behind miami are just you know going all guns blazing for it now you guys pop up out of nowhere and it was so exciting to to see this going on What's next? Do you do you do you have wider discussions with other people, with other mayors calling you up and like, what oh, yeah. on earth are you guys thinking? I actually had a conversation last week with uh, Knox County Mayor, who's on the other side of the state, um, who um, had, had the same conversation. He's kind of, what are you, what are you thinking? And you know, he called and first thing he says, like, I just got to be honest with you, I, I got something against Bitcoin. I was like, why 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 are you calling me then? He said, I, I knew about it when it was like five cents a coin, didn't buy any. <laughs> said, so I'm kicking myself. But um, but yeah, it's, you know, he's looking at it. Um, and so we're having more of those conversations about it. And I think you know, more people are apprehensive because I think also part of the mindset shift is people look at days and short term volatility scares people. But if you look at the long term appreciation of an asset, then that, that short term volatility is just adoption sale adoption sale and then the mass as the adoption increases um it, it continues to appreciate and so i think also vision is is sometimes selective on what we want to have vision for and if we can't see past two days in front of us or two days behind us on on those swings and short-term volatility but seeing the long-term appreciation then it's you have to open up that conversation and try to to make people understand or, or help them understand that yes there may be some short-term volatile swings. Um, that's why you don't put all you don't put it all there. You don't plan on paying all your bills with it right now. You just make sure you have the asset on your balance sheet and it appreciates, and then your overall your overall wealth and, and ability appreciates. That's it's it's hard to do that with so many people because of just the the, the fiat monetary system that we've you know kind of all grown up in and been forced into an unnatural high time preference uh, state. Like, you know, you earn the money, you spend the money because you just cannot see it accruing value. It's just disappearing. It's going to sit in the bank at zero or it's going to buy you less in the future. Right. Yeah, it, doesn't, people, it doesn't sit in the bank at zero. It sits in the bank at like negative two because right. it's in the bank and it doesn't appreciate. Inflation is going to take care of that. It's going to be less, it's going to be, have less worth. And many would argue that, you know, the real rate of inflation is 20 to 25% once you've taken into uh, consideration the amount of money that's being printed into the, um, into the monetary base and just diluting every dollar that anyone's ever worked for and trying to cling on to. So when you do show them this, this Bitcoin and you do show and they do see the swings, man, they're like, no way, no way in hell, because it is too volatile, uh, because they just see that one or two days they can't see the two to five years. And I think that that may, you know, obviously 
go back to the social media, that instant gratification piece, right? You know, we want to put something, we want to see the instant return now. And so uh, if, if we have to wait longer to see the appreciation of it, then it, it doesn't make much sense. And there's not a, a chart on a map that's going to go here, here, and here, then uh, I can't, I can't bet on it. Well, uh, you're going to lose out. Yeah. You, you said something to Lauren there that uh, you had to make some very tough decisions, obviously, uh, over the last uh, year and a half or so. But um, closing businesses must have been a killer. You know, it's March 16th was was the day in 2020 that, that I issued my first executive order. And never, that was that was not a, a business closure executive order. That was um, just a, a state of emergency, just a, a preparation. And we at our level um got our so we have a county government and municipal government got myself and, and the county mayor our health department our chamber of commerce our energy authority uh nonprofit education system we started meeting um every day at that point you know, two three hours a day uh, and then um gosh three days later maybe um i'm issuing executive order that's a friday afternoon I, rainy friday afternoon issuing an executive order to to close bars and nightclubs and then um, it, it progressed from there and it was it was difficult it was a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of stress um, and it was uh, something that I, I hope I never have to do again um, but um, you, know, you have to weigh out the the cost benefit analysis so are we going to save lives or are we going to you know just keep it open and I think we've we've been a little less strenuous on the, the business closure. We opened up a lot sooner than other places did. Uh, we had mass mandate in place until the end of March of this year. Um, you know, we're at now here in, in Madison County, which is where Jackson is in. 45% um, of our population has received at least their first shot. 34% um, of our population is fully inoculated. And so you, you take that into the 11 or 12% of the people in the, in the population who have that we know have had the virus. And so I think we're in a lot better position now. So we're, we're above 50% of, of people who have antibodies. And so um, we've been able to re relax and re reduce some of our restrictions. Um, and uh, you know, we've seen, it's, it's been not, not just for issuing those executive orders, but for planning, you talk back of, of asset planning, you don't, you don't know. So we have property tax, sales tax, and we're, we planned last year for a 10% reduction in sales tax. We planned a deficit budget last year. Um, I had to furlough 193 employees. I laid off 26 employees, full-time employees. All of my department heads took a 5% reduction in their salary for the term 16 weeks of the furlough. I, I imposed a 15% salary reduction on myself for the extent of the furlough, which sounded great at the time, but I didn't think it all the way through because uh, my salary is set by the council. And so I can't go to HR and payroll and say, reduce my salary pre-taxes. So I have to get paid the full amount. I have to get taxed on my, my paycheck. Then I had to turn around and cut a 15% check back to the city because I told everyone I was gonna do that. So um, you're welcome federal and local government. <laughs> <laughs> so are you all open again now? Is everybody back to normal? And uh... we just, um, so our, our venues, we operate several city venues. They were at half capacity until uh, until March 31st. And uh, we we have, like I said, we're a regional hub. And so we have, you know, our, our hospital system. We are the only 
hospital within 80 miles. And so rural West Tennessee comes to Jackson. So, you know, that was our, our goals, I think, as, as government leaders, health department, our two main goals were uh, protect the most vulnerable and to protect our hospital capacity. I, I'm not here to make sure you don't get sick. That's on you. Um, but I am here to make sure that you don't get my grandmother sick. And so uh, we, we're at the point we've been for six or eight weeks of anyone who's 16 or above can get a vaccine. So we know that our most vulnerable population has had the opportunity. Um, we did drive through mass vaccinations where we were vaccinating 2000 people in a day. And um, so we, we know that that's been there. Our hospital capacity is very manageable. We are, you know, with, we're at one point at, at 200 patients in our hospital with COVID-19, now we're 20. And so uh, resources, our capacity is very manageable, very low. Uh, our, our most at risk population has at least had the opportunity to get vaccinated. Whether they've chosen to or not is, is their choice, but they've had the opportunity. So with those two categories of where we are, then we felt comfortable to, to, to open those restrictions back up. We've been very consistent over the last six, eight weeks of about six to eight new cases a day. Um, and so, and those are, those are cases of people who aren't, who aren't being hospitalized. They're just, they're not, they're mild cases. And so um, I, I feel like knock on wood, we're in, we're in a good spot. Um, we're not, we're gonna stay vigilant. We still encourage mask wearing. We still encourage everyday social distancing, hand washing. You know, just don't be nasty. You know, wash your hands. Don't wipe your nose and go shake someone's hand, social distance. Um, and so uh, we're, 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 we monitor it every day and uh, have conversations about it. Have you been, it. have you been kind of um, surprised at the 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 amount of uh, kind of social unrest that this whole thing has caused? Um, I I blame a lot of it on like the narratives that get pushed from different um, social media um, outlets or even like mainstream media. You know, it just it seems to be, especially here in Europe, it's the same. But I see it all around the world. It's 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 shocking. Like um, that it. <laughs> Like you said, just just then, you know, if, if you choose to so do so, then you can go, you know, it's available. But like the narrative on one side and then the narrative on the other side, I just feel as though it's just been so politicized and pushed. And there's some like just weird, like awful agenda just to kind of keep people at each other's nets for some yes. reason. You know, a house divided, you know, if you if you keep the size divided, then we can we can still rule over you. Um, if we keep you fighting amongst yourselves, then we can do other things. I think it's just a misdirection. And we, I think people, unfortunately, in those positions have utilized that as an opportunity to, to keep people divided and politicize it. You know, for us, even at the local level, no matter what the decision was, if it was to implement a mass mandate, if it was to open a business back up, no matter, you got attacked from either side. If you implemented a, a restriction, then the side that said you're, you know, you're making me wear a mask in a building that infringes on my personal liberties. You have to wear pants too. Okay. This is just, you have to wear shoes. You have to wear a shirt. You, you can't walk into a business naked. Uh, we're just asking you to put one more article of clothing on. That's it. Um, but yeah, the, the politicization of it is, was uh, probably the toughest thing because no, no matter what decision you made, you were going to get attacked for it. And that's uh, what we had to live with. And unfairly though, I think for us, not for not for me and not for the, the county mayor, because we put our name on the ballot, right? We know that whatever we do, someone's going to attack us. 
but our, our health department director who her goal in life is in her career is public health, making sure people are safe and healthy. And she's making decisions and unfairly, I think, uh, from our state government, put the, the entire responsibility on her shoulders for, for Madison County, an unelected position whose, whose sole purpose in her career is to, to keep people safe and healthy uh, is now become this political figure that gets attacked for everything. And um, my, my plea and my, my wish was to not put it directly on that person. So what we did at our level was every order that she signed, I signed it and the county mayor signed it as well to show that it's not one person making the decision that we are a community, we are a group of leaders making the decision to try to take some of that heat off of her because it, it was just very unfair and she was undeserving of any of it, of any negative negativity because like I said, her, her life is about caring for people. And, um, but it's uh, hopefully we've gotten on the other side of people get mad about something else now. Yeah, fingers crossed, mate. It's uh, let, let's really hope we can move on and, and, and start having bigger, wider discussions like this, um, this idea of yours about taking your, your city onto a Bitcoin standard. Um, what's um you, you mentioned mining what what's what's the what's the thinking there i think we looking at the cost benefit analysis of you know can, can we we have we have the space can we set up the rigs and get the, the initial capital you know the, the chips are hard to come by right now so what that cost is to get the initial capital and the energy consumption piece of it if we can if we can net out a positive valuation there then we put those assets in a restricted fund balance that appreciate that if we get to a point where we need to borrow against that or we need to liquidate some of that to to pave roads or to, to do things we need to do, then we have an asset now that today in today's valuation cost X. If we need to utilize it two years from now, it's going to cost Y. And it, it, it just I think it's a benefit for us. And, and again, not thinking in that day, that day to day, but how do we prepare for when I'm gone, when I'm not in this office anymore, how do I set up the next person and the next generation for success so that they're not having to make the tough decisions that I'm having to make today of, do we buy a fire truck or do we pave a street? And so they can they can say, let's do both today. We don't have to make that choice. Or do we uh, build a new playground or do we have to fix an HVAC unit at a building? And so they're not having to make those choices. So we set them up for success. Um, for future generations. So let's let's think like five, 10 years down the line, you've managed to set up uh, uh, like a mining operation and your your city has gone on to a Bitcoin standard and it's appreciating, like, you know, let's just say Bitcoin is, is doing its thing. Does that ever, do you think, kick back onto the civilian like in form of like a lower state tax or lower city tax or things like that what what's what's your thinking around that i think at some point maybe um that, that's i think further out than five or ten years i think we have so many so much deferred maintenance here uh that there's a lot of things that we need to accomplish um you know for, for example when i took office our, our national standards for fire trucks were a fire truck is on a frontline vehicle. So you call 911, the truck comes to your house 15 years. It's a reserve vehicle for 10 years, meaning that if 
the, the frontline vehicle is in the shop for repair, then you can utilize that, but it's not a frontline vehicle for 10 years. At 25 years, by national standards, that vehicle should not be on the road. We had six that were 26, 27, 28 years. And so the deferred maintenance of that, um, so we've we've gone through the process, we've replaced all of them in this last year. We got, got three more on order being delivered. Um, we had police cars that um, it would just fall apart. And so we have, you know, 32 on the, on the way. Um, getting creative in our financing, instead of doing just a capital purchase, we're, we're doing lease purchase options. But let's say we converted that, we had we had Bitcoin converted to SATs, you know, instead of paying $600,000, we're paying, you know, way less amount in SATs to do that. Um, and so we have roads that need to be repaved. We have sidewalks that need to be rebuilt. Sidewalks need to be repaired. We have so much, so much infrastructure needs um, and economic development needs that have been deferred for so long uh, that I think it opens up the opportunity for us to not only grow as a city, but to bring more people in, increase our tax base. And then we get to that point where we can say, we've done all the things we needed to do. Then what does that look like? And how, how does that impact our citizens? And, and from, from my experience, you know, yes, in theory, we all want to pay lower taxes. We want to pay no taxes. But if you do that and you don't want to, you don't want to get ahead of yourself and, and reduce taxes too much. And then you have, we, we have an underground infrastructure, for example, a stormwater, our, our stormwater runoff system that's corrugated metal piping that's been in, in the ground for you know, 30, 40 years that is, is failing. The problem is we don't know right now until there's a cave in that is failing. And so we're going through the process of, of bringing on an, um, uh, a person or an engineering office that can actually go out and assess all that. And so then we can go back to our citizens and tell them, we know where the problems are. This is our plan to repair it. And so this is how long it's going to take. This is how much money it's going to take. Um, but don't worry because we're, we're also preparing for the future. So it won't, it won't be an extra burden on you, hopefully, that we can, we can pay for it this way uh, without having to do a stormwater assessment fee. And you know we've seen other cities do that where they don't prepare. They tell their citizens, it's going to cost you $3 a month and we're going to repair all your needs. Fast forward five years, oh wait, we didn't know how much the needs were. Sorry, we told you that. We're gonna to have to increase it to $15 a month now because we didn't prepare. And so we, we don't wanna to get to that point. We wanna make sure that we're communicating, we're transparent, that we prepare people and that we're preparing ourselves for long-term success uh, and, and hopefully the end goal that we can reduce the tax burden on people and we can find alternative ways to fund our, our initiatives. And do you think you'll end up, uh, you know, accepting Bitcoin as payment for tax? I think it's a possibility. You know, what we're looking at now, our, our first two is is providing an opportunity for our employees to, for us not, we won't pay them in Bitcoin. We'll pay them their regular paycheck, but much like a deferred compensation plan, if you're going into a Roth IRA, that you can have direct uh, debit pay, payroll deduction. And so they can, use a payroll deduction, convert some of some or all or whatever they want to do with their paycheck to Bitcoin. So we're, we're looking at that as well. And that's going to be kind of the first two things. I have two meetings this afternoon um, with probably the final two members of potentially the blockchain task force. And then that's going to be the first two things they're tasked with of, of what that looks like. Um, you know, we are a governmental entity, so we have to put out a request for proposal for those things and then how we can get the, the, 
the best opportunity for our employees to start out and then provided that we're allowed to <laughs> by, by the state government uh, to look at what the cost is of a mining system and how that return on investment will will impact us and then you know I think it's part of that group and part of our role is going to be for education for our local businesses on what it can do if they start accepting some payment and so I think if we, as we see on the retail side a more mass adoption then we can start accepting you know looking at accepting those those property tax payments you know now it may be yeah, we may see a couple thousand maybe but um you know i think that's down the road i think there's a couple of steps that have to happen first before we can get to that point comfortably is your blockchain task force solely looking at bitcoin well i i, I don't yes i would like for them to i think bitcoin is 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 the standard um you know but i'm, I'm not going to go in and, and tell them this is what you only look at put your blinders on you know there's opportunities and i think I think Bitcoin is the way that we have to adopt. I think we can't go crazy and start adopting Dogecoin as a standard of our payment. Uh, you know, we have to look at what's 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 been proven to work and what's proven to to consistently appreciate, uh, and then um, and then we can work on that. I know there's there's other opportunities of of, of Luna, Terra Luna, and things like that. And there's ecosystems around, and there may be opportunities for them. And that's why I'm going to lean on people far more educated in in those fields than I am. Um, my, my philosophy is that if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room, which is very easy to not be the smartest person in the room on any subject. So it's easy for me to find people smarter than me, but um, you get those people in the room and have those conversations about what works best for, for local businesses, for, for industry, for the, the government as well. Excellent. Now, a big, big topic that comes up with mainstream economists or flapping heads on squawk box or, you know, the, the so-called experts, fiat billionaires, whatever you want to call them, is the government's going to ban Bitcoin. You guys are all just crazy. Now, what do you have to say to those guys? Being in a position that you're in and the, the research that you're doing and the conversations you're having with other mayors around, uh, around the US, I mean, what now really are the, the, the chances of the US government banning the best performing asset of the last 12 years. I think that would be probably the biggest mistake that if the US government decided the biggest mistake the US government has ever made. That's saying a lot. We've made some mistakes. <laughs> but I think it, it not only you, you look at the deflationary value of the dollar and the way that that you know we're just artificially in propping up our economy right now, especially throughout this pandemic, which I understand is what we had to do. Um, but uh, we're, we're crippling future generations if we don't evolve and adapt to a more sustainable asset appreciation standard. Yeah, well said. It's, it's been so crazy. And, and obviously the ripple effects, you know, the US dollar being the world's reserve current currency, like, you know, the ripple effects through every other single nation uh you know through the commodity markets it mines the waters it's all noise in the economic marketplace right now there's no signal mm -hmm. it's almost impossible for, for for businesses to operate but uh here we are yes talking about bitcoin and, and you guys going on to a bitcoin standard that's so exciting and, and is there anyone who 
who would you most like to hear from? You know, who's, who's the best kind of source of, um, it, um, if people are listening here, perhaps people that are, you know, running these mining operations that can help you and advise you and uh, connect with your task force, what would be the best way that the Bitcoin communities could, you know, service you guys and, and, and help you out? You know, for me, I think I think you, you touched on a topic of, of just the economic noise, and I think that that's not that's not just for fiat currency. I mean, trying to meander through and find, you know, getting through all the the cryptocurrency noise, the Bitcoin noise of, of people saying it's not going to work, it's going to crash tomorrow. It's, you know, take your Bitcoin and throw it in the trash because somebody's actually holding up a Bitcoin because I think that's what it is, uh, you know. And so getting through that noise, and so. I, I really enjoy, I get more out of having conversations and just seeing where people are because you can read an article that someone wrote and it's, it's hard, you can't really tell where they're coming from on their their, their purpose behind it. Um, and so just having those conversations, whether it be you know, like this or, or on the phone or, or something, just really understanding you know, what the purpose is, what, what, their, what their, their meaning is behind having the conversation and what want to do so. And that's, for me, it's, just learning and absorbing as much as I can. I, I feel like, you know, even though I, I feel like we're still very early in the bell curve of adoption, very early, um, yeah. like I'm, I'm way behind. And so I'm still just trying to absorb as much information as I can and uh, to understand as much as I can. We are still very early. Well, what's the local scene like there? Do you have any idea of people throwing Bitcoin meetups? So you are uh, just, you know, like uh, swinging by like, hey guys, I'm the mayor. <laughs> Grab me a beer. Let's talk about Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I've had several meetings, and, and you know, since we've tweeted out, I had several people reach out. And it's, it's not just been in the local community. It's been you know several counties over and cities over. Um, I think it, it'll get there. You know, it's, it's a generational thing too. I think um, you see a lot of pushback as well from from those people who have been in uh, the the antiquated economy. I almost want to call it because it's deflationary and you know you work hard and, and what you talked on earlier work hard spend your money and that's that's what you do um and not understanding that yes that, that there is another opportunity and also i think it's part of the education piece and, and how do we get a group at, at, at every local level on education having those conversations of people that may not want to hear it uh that don't understand it uh that, that say it's just a it's still a fad it's a it's going away in a couple of years or whatever they say um, and you get those people who have the, the knee-jerk emotional reactions when you talk about uh, adopting Bitcoin and, and utilizing it for uh, an alternative or an addition to, then they say, you're not taking away my cash. You're not taking away my debit card. You know, uh, I don't use Bitcoin. I'm never going to use it. Well, that's fine. I'm not trying to take it away. Um, you can utilize whatever you want. We're trying to open up diverse opportunities and diversify our economy to the best we can. And um, I think a lot of it's going to be education and um and continue to have conversations and um you know you can't do those in large groups because people are people and they they don't want to ask questions in large groups and you got to have those smaller one-on-one -on -one, you know five people in a room so people can ask questions and you know not worry about feeling dumb and that's kind of it's been my thing of i had to go really quickly of if i sound dumb i sound dumb but i'm gonna ask a question and i'm gonna try to learn as much as i can there are no dumb questions in bitcoin you know, there just isn't. What's um? Are you going to make it across to Miami? Are you going to head over to the conference? 
Oh man, I'm we're looking at that. Uh, and my my family hasn't uh, we haven't traveled outside of uh, our region since the pandemic started. And so uh, my wife and I've talked, and it's not something I want to go to without them. I don't want to leave them here. But you know, my my daughter is like five and five going on twenty five, and is harder <laughs> than me already probably. I'm not as concerned about her, you know, masking and not touching things, but uh, my son who just turned three, who is all boy, who, you know, doesn't care. He'd rather, last time we were on a trip, hopefully he'll see this in 20 years and get really embarrassed by this. Um, he was about to turn two and we went through customs. He was just in his pull-up, you know, so he's, he's all boy, doesn't, doesn't care. So. <laughs> I remember get, we were on a cruise. I remember getting on the bus off the cruise and he was just in his pull-up and the guy's like, looked at me. I said, man, I, not a ditch I want to die in today. He said, I get it. You got to choose your battles. And so, <laughs> so, and so I'm more worried about uh, the three-year-old not being as, uh, as careful as he needs to be going through airports and planes and, and things like that. So we're, we're having that conversation about, uh, uh, about what that looks like in traveling. Well, if not, perhaps uh, someday uh, a few conferences might spring up in uh, in your hometown and uh, you won't have to travel anywhere. Absolutely. I'd love to have that. I'd, I'd love to just walk across the street. <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard it, listeners. Uh, you know, <laughs> Mayor Conger is up for some, um, some conferences happening uh, downtown. Absolutely. I could ask you, if you had one orange pill, which is a magic pill, Bitcoin orange pill that if you could give to someone that they understood Bitcoin instantly and its ramifications that it could have on, uh, you know, building societies again and, uh, uh, you know, kind of bringing communities back together, who would you give that pill to and why? Oh, man. That's, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, the obvious answer would be, the, you know, president or senator or something like that. I think though, if we want to look at adoption and we want to look in, and again, I go back to being selfish on what I want for, for my community and my city, I think it had to be the governor um, of our state, just because I think adoption at a, a local or state level is, is much easily accomplished than at a national level. And so, uh, you know, it, it, I think if I had to do that, it, it would be either like some, someone at the state level, comptroller's office, um, the governor, but to see that, that that's a great opportunity for, for us as a state. Great answer. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on this podcast. It's, uh, you know, like I said in my tongue in cheek tweet, it's, you know, when I saw that, it's like, well, of course, you should speak to a British guy that lives in France that's never visited your town. <laughs> It makes perfect sense, right? <laughs> right? Absolutely. But I think we covered everything. Unless there's something else that you would, uh, you know, perhaps a, a message to anybody that's listening from from your from your state and your your mindset around Bitcoin and, and why you really are truly looking into this. Yeah, you know, and I've thought about this. Uh, I thought about that. That's probably the only question that I thought about that you may ask. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Marvel fan. You know, so I've, I've watched you know, Avengers movies and, and um, the, the thing that, that sticks out when it comes to this area, I guess would be from, from the Age of Ultron movie. Uh, the point where you know, Ultron goes and, and gets the vibranium from Claw and he said, this is worth billions of dollars and you see Ultron blink and a bunch of numbers pop on the screen. He said, well, now you are too. Said, Isn't finance weird? And I think this is, 
not only in, in the age that we are of, of connectivity, because I mean, let's be honest, 10 years ago, maybe even a year ago, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation like this. You know, I, I did not have Zoom on my computer, uh, you know, a little over a year ago. And so um, the advancements of technology, the advancements of, of just the blockchain technology and what Bitcoin can do, the connectivity um, can only enhance everyone that gets involved in it. And whether we like it or whether we don't like it or want to push against it, we are becoming a more connected world. Um, and that goes, you know, currency exchange is the same way. We have to be more connected and, uh, and, and be able to do that. And I think this is, gives us the opportunity to do that. And um, it's a, it, it sometimes can be scary, um, but it's oftentimes more exciting than it is scary. The transition could be weird. Yeah. What What do you thought? You're getting a You're getting a bunch of emails. That's those mining yeah. guys. <laughs> what do you think about that? Like, um, you know, what What could the trend? Because people, I, I think this is going to be the next big fud that comes around Bitcoin. We, we've already survived the climate change. We've already survived the government's going to ban it. We've already survived um, the. Uh, software and developer guys um big block wars back um back in 2016 2017 we've survived god knows how many crashes and 80 percent corrections i think the next thing we could face is a lot of finger pointing if you know once the financial system starts unraveling which they've lit the fuse themselves and everybody knows that you know the easiest thing they're going to be able to do because they still own the narrative Let's just point finger at Bitcoin. It's like it's Bitcoin's fault that this financial legacy system has exploded and gone. It's not the fact that we artificially inflated it. Not at all. It's not the fact that, that we devalued the dollar by printing more and more and more of them. Um, yeah, it's, it's Bitcoin's fault. And I think, I think that comes with the education and the adoption of as more people are educated and more people go into this, this market and adopt it, then... Um, the resistance to the finger pointing and the resilience of it will will happen. And um, as more education happens and people understand that Bitcoin is is not a symptom of a, a problem. Bitcoin can be the, the medicine and help cure a problem that we have now. And uh, I think that's that's where the shifting understanding is. It, it's not the problem. It's, it's it was created, personal opinion, because of a problem that was coming to help solve a problem and it can be the absolute solution to the problem that we're facing inevitably going to face can we get education in schools austrian economics instead of keynesian economics which is something that no one's ever taught until they start looking at um bitcoin and understanding the austrian economics rather than the, the keynesian you know i, I have uh, our, our public school system here is is different governing body and everything. Uh, I meet with the superintendent uh, who's over the entire school system uh, monthly. And we had, a, we had an extensive conversation about it. And, you know, he, he was, I felt for once, I was not the, the extreme novice. I was actually telling someone about it and, and not just sitting there learning and absorbing. Um, but he was highly interested in it. And his last words to me before we went on to the subject was this weekend, I'm, I'm diving in. And so I think he's, he and I have kind of the same thought process. And if we go all in, we're going all in. And so I think he'll, he'll be down the rabbit hole this weekend. And uh, you know, I, I don't rule out anything with, with our superintendent who's, 
who's been in the position for, for less than a year and, and the amount of change and forward thinking that he has just here at our level, um, I think it, it could be a possibility because you know he, he doesn't care about any of the noise either. His goal is every day to do what's best for kids. And so um, I think that's you know, that's what we got to look at. What's, what's best for kids, what's best for our future generation. It can't just be a talking point anymore. We actually got to start finding the solutions you know, it's easy for for a politician to say we don't want to cripple future generations, and then go vote for a two trillion dollar bill, uh, you know, or or not pass a balanced budget. It's drives me crazy. But uh, but I think we actually got to start finding the solutions so that we're not crippling our future generations. We're actually giving them more opportunities than we had, not just giving ourselves the the opportunity of the day. Well, and, and you being a, a bit of a history nut and somebody that was at one point going to go into uh, into education, this this area of of like you know what is money, the history of money, must set you alight. Did did you read the Bitcoin Standard yet by by Saifedean? I haven't. You. I haven't got a chance to read it yet, but I have it here. Yeah, that that's going to light you up. I tell you, like the first two thirds of that book, just, you know, it's, it's about history and it's about learning, you know, what is money? Why, how did it come to be? And what, what different forms of money have we settled on in the past? And uh, another uh, good book, which has just dropped recently by Nick Batia is called Layered Money. And that kind of gives you the, the history of how um, money be, be, become to be layered underneath gold and how we're now, we have Bitcoin and what's going to be layered underneath Bitcoin. It's the, right. the two very, very good books. Uh, very, very highly recommend them. And um, just just with your fascination about history, I think they would um, sit very well with you. So great to see that you've got the book, though, man. That, that's amazing. <laughs> like, I can't believe, you know, I started this podcast, what, 14 months ago? I just thought I was going to be talking to just the Bitcoin plebs and, and whoever else might might two or three shows no one come and listen not in our wildest dreams did we believe uh anyone here in the space that's been here for you know over a couple of years did we believe that um you know it it feels like it's taken a long time to get to this point where you know companies are putting it on their balance sheet we all knew it would happen at some stage but now it's like bam 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 and to have these conversations with you is just, uh, you know, huge, huge respect. And, and thank you for taking the time. There. No, well, you know, I think I like to think of myself as, as an eternal optimist um, and look for the, the positive in things. And yes, this last year has been hard for everybody. Uh, we've had to adjust. We've had to adapt. Um, but, I mean, you look for the silver lining in things. Um, it opened up opportunities for people who were at home, especially here in the States, you know, stimulus checks, people that you know necessarily didn't need them, had the opportunity to say, hey, I have a little disposable income, what can I do with it? And so then it starts opening up the opportunity. It starts opening up the, the conversations, the the adoption, um, you know, having meetings, and you know, I'm having meetings with people on the other side of the country that normally before before March of 2020 for us, we would have to try to set up, am I going to fly there? Are they going to fly here? Are we going to meet in person? It just wasn't in our in our, our realm of thinking to just hop on a Zoom meeting or hop on a go-to meeting and to do these things. And so I think it, it kind of really advanced our connectivity and our ability to connect and, and have conversations and, and make that adoption happen. And so it's, uh, 
if you got to find some good things in a pandemic, then uh, I think these are the things of the advancement of technology and really forcing us to to evaluate how we communicate, how we operate, uh, and how we have to make those necessary advancements. Yeah. If somebody is listening right now that is thinking about opening up a, a Bitcoin business, what are the kind of business terms that, that are going on in your state? Because they're always going to be looking to move to a friendly jurisdiction. And I'm sure they're going to be listening to the words coming out of your mouth and thinking, my God, this, this guy gets it. This, this, this town could become something truly amazing. I want to come and start my business here. I can help the community learn. I can teach businesses. I can even help the mayor understand a little bit more or his team. Uh, and at the same time, build a service like a, a new DCA service or something for, for your town. Because I, I do see localism rising like big time, you know, as self-sovereignty uh, is, is a big thing that comes with, uh, with holding Bitcoin. And so does responsibility. And uh, th this drive and passion to help other people understand it. So is there, uh, yeah, what, what, what does that look like for entrepreneurs that want to come and build business, businesses there? I think for, for us, we are, like I said, we're open. My, my goal every day uh, is when I go to bed at night that I've done something to make Jackson a little better than it was when I woke up. And it, we do, we want to do the basic things well. And that is in increasing our, our local business, creating an environment and cultivating business where business can succeed. And we have, we have what's called uh, right now the local, uh, which is you know, two blocks from, from my office. Uh, it's an entrepreneur kind of incubation, uh, low, low rent cost. Uh, they can sign, you know, I think, 24 month lease where they can get their business started and then move out. And we've seen, we started that two years ago. We've seen three or four businesses move out into a permanent location. Uh, and one of our businesses now is, uh, I'm, I'm going to go talk with her about being on our, our blockchain task force because she's, she's investing and she's invested uh, in, in Bitcoin and, and different cryptocurrencies. So, um, you know, we want to be someone that's it's seen, we're kind of, as it's surrounded by rural West Tennessee, we're, we're a financial hub, we're a entertainment hub, we're a, a retail hub, regional hub for everything. So there's the opportunity here uh, is not just in population density that we have. Uh, you look at 67,000, but the opportunity here to serve half a million people in a city that has 67,000 people. That, that's where the opportunity I think really is. And, um, and we're, you have an opportunity to reach so many more people at a level with the, the cost is so low uh, to, to get in here and to, to find a place and start a business. And um, you're gonna have uh, leadership on, on both sides of government, county, city, that's, that's welcoming to business and entrepreneurs. And, and I mean, nothing excites me more than seeing people uh, have a dream, have a goal and succeed. I mean, we, we gotta get to a point where you know, I, I cheer people on. I, I want people to see. I, I want people. I don't even know friends to do better than me, and uh, that's what we're going to do here. We're going to we're going to cheer you on. We're going to want you to succeed, and going to do whatever we can to help you succeed. What's the weather like there, man? We well, you know in West Tennessee it depends on the day, sometimes the hour. Uh, uh, right now it's uh, let's see, it's sixty six degrees. Um, summertime gets pretty muggy and hot, but uh, you know it's uh, it's one of not too extreme. Uh, we've had, you know, we had some snow this year, but 
that much. No, nothing like you know northern states. Uh, we were also Jackson, Tennessee. I, I tell this all the time because it just drives me crazy. We were the first city in the state to have gig fiber internet. The problem is we didn't tell anybody. And so Chattanooga on the other side of the state got it. They were the second, but they told people. So now they're the first. So I, I like to remind people. And I, when I was at United Way, I had a, a great friend who is the CEO of United Way in Chattanooga, remind her every time your city lied. <laughs> it's all about marketing, right? You, if you're the first of the market to tell people, then you're the first. And so, but I, I did remind her, you know, we were the first, even though y'all got to say you were the first, uh, we were the first. So, uh, all right, let, so let, let's sum this up. Let's give your, your, your city the, the shill it deserves. Good weather, Bitcoin friendly, excellent internet. Uh, what else are we missing out on? Like, you know, what, what are people doing in their leisure time? Low cost of living. We're, we're getting back. We have we have a, a very rich uh, cultural arts. Uh, we have a performing arts center. We have you know I don't know of a, a city our size. Like I said, sixty seven thousand that has a symphony. We have a symphony. Um, we have amphitheaters. We have local artists. We have um, um, world famous artists. Lolo uh, is is from Jackson. Lives here now. Um, and so we we have we are very rich in music history. Uh, rockabilly, uh, country, rock and roll, um, very rich in, in history there and in music history. Uh, we're on the music highway. Um, we have interstate that comes right through. So travel is very easy. And also too, you can fly to anywhere in the world from Jackson, Tennessee. So we, we have an airline, you can get to major hubs and fly to anywhere in the world. You don't have to drive to a major airport and, and go through all of the security and parking and all. We have an airport that has free parking. They can let you fly anywhere in the world. Uh, I, 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 I think people are going to be coming straight from Miami. <laughs> I'm thinking about it already. If, if we can get across, if we're allowed to visit the U.S. and uh, we're going to swing by. Come on. We, we have... Uh, got spaces for you to stay and uh, you know, we're, our housing market is tight right now because uh, you know, the cost of everything is more expensive to build and buy, but um, we're, we're meeting and finding ways to, to reduce that barrier as well. So we want people to be here. Uh, we want people to succeed here. That's, that's the goal. You mentioned low cost of living. What, what's, um, what, what are you basing that on exactly? If it's not housing prices, it's, 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 you know, taxes, um, you know, we're, we're, we are in a, a conservative state, so we're low taxes, our property taxes are low, um, sales tax low, the cost of doing business is, is relatively cheap. And so the, the barrier to entry to start your own business is, um, is very low. And so um, you're looking at you know, cost of right now, and this is, this is an inflated market now, uh, cost of a house is on the high end, $150 US dollars per square foot. So that's, that's an inflated market. So we're, we're you know, the, the cost of doing business here is, is relatively inexpensive. And um, we want to keep it that way because we want to, we want to have a, an environment and a culture that, that welcomes people to take risk. And we want to be able to reward them for taking those risks. What's the best restaurant in town? Man, don't get me in trouble with these local restaurants. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. That's that's not fair. Come on, I can't do that. Especially if you had to close them down as well in the uh, in the last year. <laughs> but I'm sure it's the a great American fair. Is that the kind of um, yeah, food you got, got coming on? We're in the south, so you got you got barbecue. You got 
I mean, we have so many different opportunities for, for restaurants um, and, and whatever you desire to eat, we have the opportunity here from, from the national chains to local restaurants. And it's, uh, it's like I said, and we're serving a population of 400,000. So we have, we have enough places to feed 400,000 people. That's amazing. Well, Scott, it's been great to get to know you and do this conversation. Talk about Bitcoin. It's really exciting what you are doing, the way you're thinking. It's, God, it, like, it, it, it fills me with joy and hope that uh, more of this is, is going to come. Um, how can people find you? What's the best way if they want to reach out and uh, help in any way that they can? Uh, well, I'm sure many people will. Yeah, so probably the easiest way is wait, the way you found me on Twitter. Uh, Mayor Conger is the Twitter handle. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram. And so, I mean, you know, I think we had a little issue. I think governments are still kind of at that point of the firewall. If you have coin, bid, crypto somewhere in your uh, in your in your email address, then we, we had to block it out. So you got to send me a Twitter message and let me whitelist you. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, social media is the easiest way to, to reach me. And I try to be as responsive as possible uh, as, as, you know, check it periodically throughout the day. So uh, I'm not leaving anyone out there just hanging and waiting on me. Come on. Are you checking Bitcoin Twitter? Are you getting sucked in like every five minutes? You're just sitting there like laughing at the memes. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm walking as I'm walking to a meeting or something. I'm, I'm you know, looking and just trying to stay up to date <laughs> and just catch a little bit of something. <laughs> well, Thanks so much for hanging out and, uh, and doing this. I can't wait to uh, release this episode. Really appreciate it. Have a, have a great day, man. Oh, thanks, you too. I appreciate you reaching out. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, guys, what did you think of that? Scott, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you so much for taking a look into the rabbit hole because we all know how important this could be for your community, for your city, for the social construct around you, for the kids that are going to be growing up in that place, for the companies that might be attracted to come and set up in your city, for visitors to come through and, and take a look at uh, you know what might be flourishing if, if you do manage to pull this off. It's, it's going to be amazing and it's really cool that it's going to be uh, you know, much more localized rather than, uh, than the bigger cities or you know, a full state. This, this could be something very, very interesting to watch at a very close level and uh, Scott and I just chatted briefly after we, we stopped recording uh, about the, the energy sources available to them and hydro, nuclear, they've, they've got some very very interesting opportunities to plug mining machines in. This could become a real thing and he's got just five people to convince and, and get a sign off and we're off to the races so if anybody is out there listening and you can help scott make this happen he wants to make it happen you've listened to the interview he sees the vision he sees the future reach out to him tweet at him he's engaging with people like myself he's engaging with the plebs he's engaging with absolutely anybody that could carry this vision forward and it's so important that we can come together and help him out as a community so if you've got anything to add make sure you step up and and do that so i probably rambled enough um again huge thanks for coming on really uh, amazing that uh, you got back to me and 
I know you're going on a few more podcasts. Please keep appearing. Hit the podcast scene hard because we need more voices like yours on our side making this thing uh, as inevitable as it already is. It's, it's just so nice to have people like you on our side. Uh, before I sign off, I just want to give a quick shout out to all of the sponsors. Go check once-bitten.com. You can hit the sponsors page. Uh, you'll see all the main sponsors on there. There are a few other companies that you can check out as well that are giving you discounts. Uh, the main sponsors, as you know, are swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. They're in the US. They're going to be checking out Jackson, I am sure. And of course, in the UK, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. Bitcoin only exchange. You can set up auto buys or do one time smash buys, whatever your poison. Across Europe, relay, R E L A I dot C H forward slash bitten go there download the app it's very low kyc and you can set up a dca service and of course please keep these coins safe get them off the apps get them off the exchanges and get them onto a hardware wallet you can find a bitcoin only hardware wallet at bitbox02 sorry excuse me the bitbox02 and you can find it at shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten stack safe guys because this thing's about to fly <laughs> you all know that already you don't need me to tell you stay safe and i look forward to the next show